Welcome to NHL Draft Class presented by Adidas. I'm Adam Kimmelman here with Mike Morial. Adam, I have had my two cups of coffee. No milk, no sugar. We're going black because it's this is draft week. All out, full force. Yes, we are here. It is beginning of draft week. You're days away from the start of the first round at Rogers Arena in Vancouver. This has been the, the this is the culmination of a long journey. It's fitting that we end in Vancouver. We started in Vancouver back in July. We flew to Vancouver to to drive to Kamloops to cover the World Junior Summer Showcase. Our first look at at Jack Hughes and Capo Caco at summer hockey, and now heading back to Vancouver. We're going to see where their NHL futures begin. It's an exciting time, obviously for these players, the parents and families and friends uh, come in to. Maybe, you know, watch them be drafted in the first round. I know it's sometimes it's a tense moment, tense times for, for a lot of the families. But for the most part, uh, it's an enjoyable experience for a lot of these kids. And it's the first phase of their future, right? I mean, a lot of these players, and we've spoken to them before, Adam, tell us, yeah, you know, we're going to be drafted and it's great, but it's just the start of what all the work that needs to be done. That's it. And to give us a little bit of a different perspective, he's a former NHL general manager, now the TSN director of scouting, friend of the show, Craig Button. Thanks for joining us on NHL Draft Class presented by Adidas. Oh, you guys are welcome. Anytime. Craig, can you talk about the influence your father, Jack Button, had in your career? I know your dad was hired by then NHL President Clarence Campbell to manage the NHL Central Scouting Bureau after the family moved to Montreal in, in 1975. W- what did you take away from his guidance as you were serving as a, as a former scout and executive in the sport? Well, I mean, I mean, like, like all of us, I mean, our parents play such an influential part in our lives, Mike, and you know, my father, you know, for, for us, the, the, the family business was hockey. So being around it, you, you know, it was, it was comfortable and you, you knew the people. You know, my mother was also a uh, punch and wax secretary. So even as a kid, you know, my dad, uh, you know, being with the Penguins when they started in 1966-67 in expansion. But when Punch and Wax and King Clancy ended up with the Buffalo Sabres, whenever they came into town, I was always... Uh, around uh, the Buffalo Sabres uh, locker room because my mom was so close with Punch Imlach and King Clancy. So the influences of of my mother being around the game and my father were were significant. As for my dad in terms of, you know, scouting and managing and everything that went with it, you know, I was really lucky because, I mean, he he worked in the NHL head offices. I mean, Clarence Campbell expansion, the amalgamation of the WHA. A lot of things happened over the course of time. And, and then he and David Poyle worked together for so long and, you know, being in the business and watching how professional he was and, and he was professional long. I knew that long before I got into the business and the, the things that he said were incredibly important to success, whatever you were going to do. I, I think that those were certainly things that not only influenced me, but were instilled in me in terms of, you know, how you deal with people, how, how you manage your time, how, how you make sure that, uh, you know, young players with dreams, you know, you try to do everything you can to help them realize those dreams, knowing that not everybody's going to do that. Those are really, really important. And I think that over time, and certainly as I, as I moved into management and became a manager, absolutely uh, big parts of the way that uh, I, I tried to carry myself. That's great stuff. How has scouting changed from your days as a director of scouting for the Dallas Stars from 
92 to 98 to today, Greg, as an analyst and, and scout for TSN? Well, I mean, it, it's so much. I mean, you know, you have 31 teams, soon to be 32 teams in the league. You have so many more uh, scouts out there, you know, trying to evaluate players. I mean, there used to be a time when you could talk about, oh, I'm going on a secret mission. And, you know, if you ask Kenny Holland uh, about Pavel Datsuk, you know, he was a player that not a lot of people knew about. If you, if my father was still alive, you could ask him about Peter Bondra. Not a lot of people knew about him. But there, there was different uh, uh, political environments with the, with the, with the Iron Curtain uh, in, in the Eastern Bloc of Europe. So it, it was a very different time. And as, as the league was transforming and Europeans were becoming a big part of the, of, of the fabric of the NHL, you have to spend... Uh, the requisite amount of time in Europe. So you needed more time and, and more more people over there. You needed more time to cover off uh, the North American as, as players in high school and the USHL and, you know, not just in the CHL, but in other leagues, you know, were becoming uh, more apparent that they were producing NHL players. And, and then how you manage your information and, and, and the sharing of information and how you analyze that information. I mean, uh, you used to you used to you know send in a report and you'd be formulated. You'd go to a meeting. You would talk back and forth, and you'd say, "Okay, that's our guy." Now the the, the scouting meetings are detailed because the work that you put into it is detailed, and the efforts uh, of each individual scout, knowing their areas and knowing them so well, and knowing what the players. Uh, you know, eat for breakfast and the physiology, the, the physiology of it with the combine and everything. There's so many factors in it. It's really like the growth of the NHL. Scouting has had to keep pace because if you're not recruiting and developing, and I don't care what business or industry you're in, you're not going to have a very good business. And uh, scouting follows along the same lines as any type of recruiting. You better be good at it. and You better be really uh, uh, adept at being able to acquire the people and then help them not only just uh, acclimate, but develop them. And so that's, uh, it's amazing when I think about it. You know, when I started in, with the Minnesota North Stars in 1988, you know, my degree, I have an economics degree and statistics background, but one of the things I had to do in university was learn how to write program. I, I, a gentleman in Minnesota by the name of Mark O'Hara and myself, we wrote the first scouting program. Now, it was simplistic. It wasn't, but we did that in 1989. We wrote the first scouting program to, uh, you know, make sure that our data was, 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 you know, accumulated orderly and everything so that we could, you know, we weren't looking off of reports and flipping through binders that it was all there. We could look at everything in, in order and, and take it, uh, you know, in terms of how we were going to evaluate it. So, now you you talk about everybody has has in depth data analysis on the draft picks and everything. So that's not that long ago. I mean we're we're talking thirty years ago that uh, from from today how how it's evolved and, and not just in how you look at it but in how you manage it and and and, and analyze the data. That growth is amazing. Um, and I want to go back to something you said how hockey and scouting is the family business. Your brother Todd Button is the director of amateur scouting for the Calgary Flames. Obviously, you have your sources. Do you use Todd? Do you kind of will you talk to him for suggestions, hints, ideas, what the Flames or or what he's heard other teams are doing? Well, you, you know, it's a great question, Adam. And you know, like, so my brother works there, and 
but but I have relationships uh, with people all around the NHL, and, and it's interesting when I'm out on the uh, out on the circuit scouting, and I see approximately 100, 110 games a year. So so I'm out, you know, in the rinks and with the people. So you know, it's very interesting for me. I, I've never been one to ask somebody directly, "Oh, do you like this player? Or are you going to draft this player?" But over, but just in the course of conversation, you, you get ideas about, oh, you know, this is a player they may like. Because, you know, like, you know, when you're talking, I get asked my thoughts on different players. I become a, a, a third-party resource, and there's a lot of uh, third-party resources. And I certainly uh, try to, you know, give uh, my assessment of players when I'm asked. So it's not just it's not just him. There's a lot of people around the league, and, and you, you know that you talk to, and they ask you, and you talk to them. So it's never about a direct because I, I, I never I, I don't think in uh, when I worked with Minnesota and Dallas and Calgary, I mean you're not giving away information. You you, you just can't. No, you, it's not smart. It's not prudent. And so I, I don't believe in that, and I would never ask it. So it, it's more through the process of just conversations going, okay, sounds like they like that guy. And, you know, you look at rankings and ratings and you, you get a pretty good feel based on conversations you may have had. Oh, that guy might be a good fit for that team there, or this player might interest that team. And it, it's just through that process that I think that you try to take your information in and then try to formulate your own ideas about, you know, not, not so much about assessments, but just in terms of where players uh, might go in a draft and, and who may be interested in them from a team perspective. All right, so you mentioned all the games you see. You're one of the foremost experts of the draft. We can all kind of agree that Jack Hughes and Capo Caco are the most two top talents available in this year's draft. Taking the team and, and any kind of team needs out of the equation, who is the third most talented player in this year's draft? I'm really glad – Adam, that you mentioned too about needs. I mean, the Major League Baseball draft and the NHL hockey draft, you're drafting 17 and 8 year old kids. It is a projection game. It is clearly about where are these players going to be at when they're 21, 22 years of age. Now, there's certain players that are going to play a, a little bit sooner. We know the league has some younger players that are impacting uh, their teams and the league in a real positive manner much sooner than they, than they once did. But if you're looking at needs, you're making a big mistake. I think the accumulation of talent and skill is paramount as you build up your uh, you build up your organization. And you can look at a team today and you can say, okay, yeah, they have this many defensemen or they don't have a center. But the players you're drafting, really, in in, in every realistic uh, analysis you have to be looking at them being able to come in and contribute in three years time. So you got to look at where not only is your team going to be at and the way to do that is just, just get talented players. I've, I've never seen an organization suffer by having too many talented players. I've seen organizations suffer significantly by not having skilled players and talented players. So now to answer your question to me, Bowen Byram. And when, when, when I watch Bowen play, rarely do I take a defenseman and project them as a number one, because I, I, I think they're rare. And I think that while there have been other players that may have developed into a number one defenseman, at the age of 17, 18, I, I don't think it's clearly defined. I, I think that but for me with Bowen Byram, when I watch him play and I watch the skills he possesses, he screams number one defenseman. Just like Drew Doughty screamed number one defenseman. And certainly Victor Hedman screamed number one defenseman. I'm talking about guys that went second overall in their respective drafts. 
Eric Carlson, you knew he had a lot of offense. Brett Burns, he was an interesting player. You didn't project those guys as number ones. They became number ones. But when I watch Bowen Byron play, I, I just see a highly gifted player. And uh, You know, there's every, every team in the NHL has a number one defenseman, but not every number one defenseman is a true number one defenseman. Bowen Byron is. So, all right, I want to I want to lock in on the defenseman for a minute. So, Bowen Byram is is the number one guy, and there's a lot of other talented guys: Cam York from the NTDP, uh, Philip Broberg, Morris Sider, Victor Soderstrom. How big is that gap between Byram and whoever you think is the second best defenseman in this year's draft? Uh, well, I, I, l- 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 let's put it this way, Adam. I don't think there's another number one in there <laughs> at okay. this point in time. I I don't project any of them to be a number one, and so. If you're trying to say, like, are there guys that I think can be top pair defensemen? Yeah, but when you say top pair, that's a second defenseman. But I don't see anybody, any other defenseman in this draft that has the capabilities that Bowen Byron has. So whether that gap between a one and a two is big or small, I think it's significant enough where you look and go, okay, there's nobody else in this category of defensemen. It's like, it's like, it's like trying to say, okay, a number one center, an elite 100-point producing number one center is a lot different than a 75-point number one center. And I think with Bowen, and you mentioned some really good players, and you mentioned Philip Broberg and and Victor Soderstrom and Cam York and uh, Moritz Seider and, you know, Thomas Harley. They're really good defensemen, but I don't think they have the same. I think that those guys are more in a group together, and, and Byron stands outside of that group. So when we had a, an opportunity to chat a little bit at the NHL Scouting Combine, Greg, uh, I remember talking about this national team development program. 17 players were there, which was unprecedented at the Combine. Uh, we were discussing how this team, and you said it, it could be a generational team. Uh, this, is, this is a team that perhaps maybe 10, 15 years down the road, we could see maybe a dozen or more on an Olympic roster for, for the United States. I'm curious to know, though, from you, who might be the most underrated player in this program that might go maybe in the fourth, fifth round and potentially could have a real nice impact in the NHL one day? Jeez, that's a, that's a great question. And what I'm afraid of doing is, is, when you, uh, is when you go and assess my prospect rankings, when I say this, you'll say, why didn't you have him rated higher then? Because... Mm. You know, you're not afraid to put my feet to the fire. I, I like that. <laughs> Always. Because <laughs> you know, you'll allow it. You'll allow me to do that, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> One of the interesting things, that I, and, and I, I love the question. I really do love it. Because, you know, there are, there are players like that. You, you know, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a defenseman that I, that I really, really like. And, and that's Marshall Warren. And when, you, when, when I watch him play, he doesn't some he doesn't get the notoriety of other players, but when I watch him skate, when I watch him make plays, when I watch how he does things over the course of the game, I, I think he does things that scream NHL from a skating point of view, from a competitive point of view, from a thinking point of view. And when you get to the NHL where it's more orderly and the players are smarter and they're more skilled, I, I, I think his skill set really plays to that. And we know that in the draft, there's going to be players that we're going to look at and go, geez, that, that's a heck of a pick there. You know, he should have gone much higher. We, we just know that that's the, that's reality. But for me, Marshall has those things. He, 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 quite, he, he goes about his game 
in, in a manner that I, that I would call quietly, but with extreme confidence. And, you know, I, I was reading about uh, uh, an article about Marshall and just about his coaches were saying he does things and you say, well, why is he doing that? Then you see him do it again and again. He goes, geez, that's the right thing. And I think it's that those types of subtleties that Marshall has in his game that are going to serve him well in the NHL. On forward, and, and, and I have two players, and, 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 and Johnny Beecher probably doesn't fit into this because he's going to be a higher pick, a big, strong skating center. I think there's a lot of untapped potential there for Johnny. And I think, you know, you play behind Jack Hughes and Alex Turcotte, you're not going to get prime power play time. You're not going to get those offensive opportunities. I, I think he's a very interesting player with respect to, uh, you know, where can he go uh, with respect to his skating abilities. Patrick Moynihan is, is the player that I think he plays with good players. He plays right wing. He plays left wing. He can do a lot of different things in the game. He can, he can score. He can make plays. I think we all talk about, oh, it's easy to play with Sidney Crosby. Oh, it's easy to play with Connor McDavid. No, it isn't. It's really hard to play with those players because those guys play at a, such a high level with their skill and with their minds. And so when I watch Patrick and I've watched him over a period of time play in different situations, I think he's got really good hockey sense and a really good understanding of wherever he's playing and whoever he's playing with, exactly what he has to do. So that would be the player that, you know, whether he's a third-round pick or a fourth-round pick, I, I really like the way he plays the game, the way he thinks the game, and I think he's, a, I think he's an excellent competitor. All right, so Craig, you were an NHL GM. People might not realize that. Back in, in 2000, you were a GM with the Calgary Flames. Vasily Podkolzin has the talent to be a top 10 pick, maybe even a top 5 pick. But does his contract in Russia, would that give you, as an NHL GM, a pause before selecting him? Or is the Russia factor completely you know, overblown at this point and, and still just something that the media talks about? Well, you, you know, Adam, I, I can't speak for every team, but, 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 you know, as we talked about the evolution of scouting at the, at the outset and, you know, you know, the Iron Curtain in the Eastern Bloc, you know, with communist countries that used to be up, I can tell you in all my years of scouting, never, ever have I ever looked at uh, a player and said, oh, boy, there's, there's pause for concern because of his passport or where he's from. And I, 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 I never, in all the years, and you can go back, we drafted Russian players. We traded for Russian players. We had Russian players. We never had a problem getting Russian players. And so I, I think that that is absolutely the case. And, you know, it, it would be nice if there was 500 players around the world that were all going to be NHL players and you could pick and choose. That's not the case in the draft. You have to assess the talent. You have to assess the skill. The Russian players want to come and play in the NHL. Vasily Podkolzin wants to come and play in the NHL. He's no different than any other player. You want to go and spend time with them. You want to try to understand, do they, do they know what their strengths are? Do they know what their development path is? What are you going to provide to them in terms of helping them get along? And, and I don't care where you're from. If you're from Connecticut or you're from Russia or you're from Sweden, you need to understand you know, does the player have, have the requisite understanding of what his path is? And, and then you can convey to him what you're going to try to do to help him. Again, you're looking at 21 years of age. So I've never looked at a contract status. You need to understand it. But at, at the same time, you know, you're, you're looking at really good players. And I think the key, again, 
if you want to start looking at players from based on their passport or the contracts that you're, you're now making that pool of players, which isn't very big to begin with, a lot smaller. And as we talked about acquiring talent and developing your talent in any industry, when you're not doing it and, and, and you're now making that smaller, boy, you're, you're, you're making the job a lot harder. So I, for me, never has been an issue, never will be an issue, unless there's something to make me believe it's an issue. But I can't speak for every team in the NHL. So one other little bit of breaking news that came out. Um, Peyton Krebs, center from Kootenay in the Western League, had surgery recently. He has a partially torn Achilles. He's a guy that at probably was going to go in that 9-15 to 15 range anyway. Does the injury and, and whatever it's going to take him to get back to 100%, does that in your eyes affect where he could get drafted or where he stands in, in the draft rankings? The first thing, the first thing that should happen is, is when you, when you get information on, on this type of injury, you know what, you, you ask the, you ask his agent and his advisor, advisory group, can we get the medical reports? Can we talk to the surgeon? Can we talk to the doctor? And then you have your own medical staff go through it. Okay. What does this mean? What does, uh, what does this mean in terms of, uh, of, of impacting them in any type of negative way with respect to its potential? Will it harm his skating? So, so you try to get all those answers from a medical standpoint. And, 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 and that's the most important thing you have to do is, is, is be satisfied with the medical report before you start to make any other determinations. Now, I can only tell you from what I understand talking to medical people, and, and I don't have the medical report, so I, so I qualify this, is that, that, that this is an injury that will have little to no impact on his future potential and that it will heal, he'll be fine. It's just a matter of the time that he won't be on skates. He won't be able to participate in a development camp, a summer junior camp, maybe training camp, and, and miss maybe a little bit of the beginning of the season based on what I've been told. So if you're satisfied with the medical report and you're satisfied that this is just a temporary setback and it will have no long-term implications, you have to go by your assessment of the player. And it should make, it should make no difference to how you're going to evaluate the player or where you would select them based on this injury. It's a setback, uh, it, but a short-term setback. And if you're satisfied with the medical report that it will have no long-term implications, then Look at him in terms of, of him being a healthy player and just know that he's not going to be able to participate in some things in the short term, but he's not ready to play in the NHL next October anyway. So I think, again, you're looking at the long term, not the short term here. So I need help understanding something here. Why does the most important position on the ice, goaltender, seem to be forgotten when it comes to the NHL draft? We've seen a few goalies chosen in the first round over the years, Craig, but it's very rare uh, to, to see that happen. Uh, you know, we'll likely see a generational goalie selected this year and Spencer Knight uh, for the national team development program could go top 15 in this draft. But what, what is your reasoning on why, you know, goalies are select, you know, it seems like GMs and scouts would prefer to, to take goalies in the second round or after uh, you don't normally see goalies chosen in the first round. Well, I think number one is uh, the, the, the timeline for goaltenders. It's, it's like pitchers in baseball, Mike. You know, you, you draft kids 17, 18 years of age out of eight, at 18 years of age uh, out of high school, and, and, and you, can, you can put the gun on them, and you can say, hey, listen, they throw this fast, they got this type of pop and this fastball, but then they got to learn how to pitch. Like, it's not just about how hard you throw. you got to learn how to pitch. 
And I think it's the same thing with goaltending. You can be a goaltender, but you have to learn how to goaltend. So it's very different. It's a it's a technical position. You gotta you gotta learn how to hold your position. You gotta learn different parts of goaltending to really be. A, and that takes longer. That, that that's not something that you just go out and play and we can give you some support. You know, a, a younger defenseman, you can put him with an older defenseman to support him. Same with a with a forward. Well, the goaltender's there by himself. He he has to he has to be able to do that on his own, and so you, you know there's a there's a longer process in that. So then you look at you know some of the gold you look at goaltenders and you say okay why why do we take a goaltender in the first round when we can take a goaltender you know after the second round and there's examples of those guys that need a little bit more time but we think have the potential and you know you also have to think about the opportunity cost of passing up a forward or a defenseman who might be a little bit more ready at the expense of taking a goaltender, uh, you know, in the first round, that's going to be a little bit, uh, that's going to take a little bit of time. Ilya Samsonov was the, was the first round pick of the Washington Capitals a couple of years ago. It, to me, it's a great pick because you, you allow, he's got the potential. Now, you know, he needs time, but you have Braden Holtby. And I think you have to look at goaltenders in terms of what your timeline is going to be. So Snapsonoff comes over to North America, plays his first year in, in, in North America, you know, acclimatizing, trying to understand the quicker game on the smaller rink, right? But they don't need him right now. So if you, if you do it right, when you're going to need him, it's going to time out right when Braden Holtby is in his mid-30s and Snapsonoff is going to be ready. But how many teams have that at their, at their fingertips? You know, I, I think by my count, I think after the second round, everybody talks about taking goalies after the second round and don't take them in the first round. But I think by my count, you guys can correct me, but I think there's only eight goaltenders in the NHL right now drafted after the second round that are playing for the team that drafted them. Holtby is one of them. Okay. So, you know what? It's not like there's a surefire thing that just because you don't draft them in the first round and you draft them after the second round that they're going to play for your team either. There's still development that goes into it, and there's still a time frame and a time period that you have to understand in terms of those goaltenders and what it's going to take. So if you're looking for a goaltender to come in in two years' time, I don't think it's realistic. But if you're looking for a goaltender to fit your, uh, your, your projection in, in the appropriate amount of time as he learns, I think it does make sense. And then the last thing I'll say is that, you know, the, the, you – you look at an elite goaltender like Spencer Knight, and they don't come along very often. You know, like number one defenseman, I talk about Bowen Byram. Well, number one goaltenders, and that's clearly how I see Spencer Knight, they don't come along very often. So I think when the opportunity uh, arises, when you see a, a goaltender like that in the draft, if you need a goaltender and you want a goaltender, you, you best take them because I think that Spencer Knight is, is a terrific, terrific uh, prospect. And I think that next year, we very well, not very well, we'll have another goaltender drafted in the first round in the Russian goal of Yaroslav Askarov. And rarely do you see such talented young goalies. Spencer played at the U18 as a 16-year-old, and Askarov played at the U18 as a 16-year-old. I think that already tells you how accomplished they are. All right, so last one from me, Craig. Um, put your GM hat back on. You've got the number one pick in the draft. Who do you take? Jack Hughes. I think he's a superior player. And, and you, you know, you make a statement like that and people say, oh, I love Kyle Pocock. 
I, I think Capocacco is a really good player. And I, and I think the improvement that Capocacco uh, demonstrated this year and the success he had in the SM Liga, certainly at the World Championships, the World Junior, I mean, it, 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 it's very good. It's very obvious. And certainly he, he created a, a, a question about should Jack Hughes be automatically the first overall pick. And I, I think that's a great credit to Capocacco. But the reason I say Jack Hughes and I, the reason I say Sapir, I think he's a far, not, maybe not a far better, he's a better skater. He can impact the game in multiple ways with his skating. I think he's got better hands, playmaking, ability to make plays at high rates of speed. And the, the processor, that, that ability to process the game at that speed and be able to make plays as everything around you is happening so fast. And then the imagination and creativity. I, I think that Jack is is superior in all four of those categories, and therefore that's why I'm taking Jack Hughes number one. And you know, it's it's interesting. And, and you know, Mike and Adam, we we've talked about this. You know, back in the 1983 draft, the Detroit Red Wings took what what was termed a little centerman from Peterborough. His name was Steve Eiserman. So I, I see some similarities between Jack Hughes and Steve Eiserman, and really where I see some similarities, not just in their skill in their competitive fire. They want to be the best. And once they physically mature, I think Jack Hughes, we saw what Steve did. I think Jack Hughes has a similar type uh, upside and potential to be that type of impact player. Fantastic stuff, Craig. Thank you for joining us on NHL Draft Class presented by Adidas. Thank you guys very much for having me. Always my pleasure. Craig Button, you can see and find all of his work on uh, TSN. But let's talk about number one, no hesitation, Jack Hughes and the Steve Eiserman comparison. That's pretty lofty for an 18-year-old kid to compare him with a four-time Stanley Cup champion and a Hall of Famer. That really impressive. Uh, I don't think we've ever heard that comparison, Adam. Uh, but certainly when you have Craig Button uh, you know, talking about Jack Hughes as a potential player that could be similar to a Stevie Y is, is outstanding. Obviously, Stevie went number four to Detroit that year, and as we were discussing uh, off-air, you know, uh, Pat LaFontaine going number three, who Detroit may have selected if he were there at number four. But lo and behold, Steve Eiserman Steve is, is there for them, and, um, you know, the rest is history. So Jack Hughes, uh, Jack Hughes right now is, is in good company, and, and obviously we all think that the Devils are going to, to choose him at number one. Um, we'll see when the, when the draft rolls around first round on, uh, on Friday, but – uh, for the time being, uh, it's going to be interesting uh, to see what what Jack Hughes can do in the NHL when, when the time is right. So one of the other things that, that he talked about that stood out to me was who he would take at number three, taking the team out of it. He said Bowen Byrams, the third most talented player in this year's draft. Obviously, you know, there's a lot to choose from there between Kirby Dock and Dylan Cousins and, and half the NTDP roster, um, you know, are you do you agree with do you see that I mean we've seen the guys obviously he's seen way more than we have but you know from what we've watched and who we've talked to you know Bowen Byram is he the third best player in this draft if you take all the other teams all the other things out of it yeah I know what I thought it was interesting too Adam how when you had mentioned about needs you know team needs you said you can't really look at needs which, which is what we we agree uh you got to take who you think is the best available player I mean every team every scouting department has their draft board on where they should be slotted. And if one player is taken, you check him off, go to the next player. If he's there, you take him. If it happens to be a Bowen, Bowen Byram in the case of the, of the Blackhawks, so be it. We love Byram. Uh, you know, I, I think in my second mock draft, I had Chicago taking him number three. 
in the, in the next mock draft, I have Alex Turcotte. So there are a number of players that could go number three. I still think it's going to be Alex Turcotte, but we'll see. Indeed, we will see who the best players are available for each spot when the draft starts Friday night, rounds two through seven on Saturday on NHL Network. But that's going to do it for us here at NHL Draft Class. You can subscribe free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can check out other podcasts like NHL Executive Suite, NHL Fantasy on Ice, and the great one-on-one. The NHL Podcast Network is on the rise. For Mike Morial, always a pleasure. I'm Adam Kimmelman. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate and review. Until next time, NHL Draft Class presented by Adidas is dismissed.